You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. This is episode number 28. And we've got a pretty cool topic this week. We're going to be talking about Icelandic a little bit later. Yeah, Icelandic. We're going to look at the history of Iceland and kind of how it ties in with its language. And we're going to learn a little bit about the Icelandic culture as well. Yeah. First, we have some language news. Yes. This week in language news, how emojis are perceived differently by different cultures. This is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I really like this topic because of the eggplant emoji. Yeah. Is it used in China? I think it is. I haven't seen it used a lot. Maybe I don't talk to a lot of vulgar people. (laughs) But definitely it's huge in Japan. In Japan... An eggplant is used as a euphemism for a penis. And a lot of people might think, what? Eggplant? Why Why would that be the case? It doesn't look anything like a penis because it's kind of like really like large and bulbous. But <laughs> Yes, okay. <laughs> but in Asia, eggplants are long and thin, kind of in the shape of a banana. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense because, I mean, like we use it too, but... Like, in the U.S. Right. It's very common, but I guess that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I remember listening to a podcast about a Japanese show where Mm -hmm. a guy was filmed naked for, like, two months with an eggplant. Oh, my God. Did you hear about this? I've seen that, yeah. Or not Uh, seen it, but I've read about it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an eggplant over his nether regions and yeah he had to get what he needed by just like applying to win competitions in magazines yes i think i read about it or saw like a youtube video about it or something yeah it was really messed up actually this poor dude yeah (laughs) like he never was able to win any clothing via magazines (laughs) he was naked the entire time (laughs) poor guy yeah but anyway That's one little example of how emojis are perceived differently around the world. Yeah. So I think it was really interesting that they talked about the kind of history of emojis in the Mm -hmm. article. So it started in Japan and was brought worldwide, I think, around 2010. Mm -hmm. And that's when Apple started selling the iPhone in Japan and they needed to start using emojis on their platform. Ah, because they were already popular in Japan. Exactly. So to be competitive, they had to adopt them. And then, yeah, they went kind of worldwide. But each culture obviously is different. So they have different perceptions of different symbols or different like hand positions. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Right. So you would think like an image, like that's universal, but it's not. Yeah, and they started with 180 different emojis, right? Yeah, something like 180, 200. Yeah, and now there are like 2,000 different kinds of emojis. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it really is. Most recently, there have been like these 
women emojis like that are shrugging or face palming and stuff like yeah. that. And I actually haven't seen those on my phone and I'm a little annoyed that I can participate in this shrug. I can now do it since I updated my phone on Friday. Ah. I've been like for the past two years getting lots of emojis that are question mark box and Oh darn. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess Maybe that's maybe that's it. I guess so. That's funny. So now you can like actively participate in the world of emojis. Yeah, I was engaged. so excited. One of the best things about updating my phone, I was just telling Patrice this before, it's been two years since I updated my phone. So, so now I'm finally like in the game again. But <laughs> like one of the best things was looking through all the new emojis. I was like, oh my God, look at that. Yeah. Something that everyone else saw like two years ago. <laughs> so many opportunities. Yes. <laughs> so that's really funny that we're doing this episode this week. Yeah, that works. I was out. literally on Friday, just like so excited about emojis. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah, that works out really well. So yeah, let's look at a few different ways that emojis are perceived around the world. Mm-hmm. We have in Uruguay, Cuba, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, Greece, Portugal, Spain. So South, basically South America and around the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the horn emoji is a lucky sign and it is used to avoid the evil eye and bad luck. But it has a second meaning. And when the horn emoji is directed at a particular person in these countries, it means that the person's partner has cheated in their relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's an expression in Spanish, like, to give somebody the horns is, oh, like, yeah. to cheat. Yeah, you talked about that in the body language episode, too. Yeah, true, true. Okay, that's funny that it's used, like, as both a symbol of to avoid bad to... luck and also Is that the to... little purple one with the horns? Ah, that must be what it is, yeah. I know there's the one that's like the kind of devilish smile, and then there's maybe one that's like angry looking or something. Oh, yeah, there are two. So one of them looks kind of like a demon, and one of them is like a purple devil. Yeah. I think it's got to be probably the purple devil. Probably, yeah. I thought the demon one was a devil, but um, I've been corrected recently, so... (laughs) So that's one. Another emoji that you should not use in Nigeria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran is the thumbs up emoji because it means sit on it. And I'll leave it to you to figure (laughs) out what that means. Yeah. It's an obscene gesture. Yeah. So Facebook there where you accidentally send that thumbs up emoji is not going to be your friend. Yeah. Hey, let's meet Tuesday. Thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you want to learn more about obscene hand gestures, just go to episode six on body language. Yeah. So let's talk about some popular ones around the world. Mm -hmm. So the red heart seems to be one of the favorite emojis in New Zealand and Canada. Mm -hmm. In Ireland, they like the poop emoji. In Australia, the winking emoji with a tongue sticking out. And Trinidad, Jamaica, the UK, and US, the laughing, crying emoji. That's one of my most used ones. Same. I use that one a lot. People use that a lot here, too. 
Yeah, here too. I'm surprised that the facepalm emoji hasn't made its way around the world very much, though. Yeah. It wasn't on my old software, so... Yeah, it's like a very common emoji in China. Oh, okay. But the common favorite in English-speaking countries is still the plain smiling face emoji, apparently. Yeah, and that's like kind of like a good one to fall back on. Yeah. Even like older generations can like figure out how to use that one, whereas, you know, like the eggplant or the peach, maybe not. Right. Yeah, so speaking of the eggplant, we've already covered that, but the peach emoji is also taken to mean butt, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. Does that make me old? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see it a lot on like kind of fitnessy Instagram posts and stuff. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. I haven't noticed that. So it does make a difference, like the age. The article said the sexual reference of the eggplant and maybe as well the peach is more used by 18 to 24-year-olds. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be 30 in 10 days. Ah! Yeah. Getting further and further away from that age group. (laughs) But the fire emoji is used in the literal meaning, whereas in Trinidad and the UK, it is used to convey attraction, which makes sense to me, for sure. Yeah, it's like hot. Ooh. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. I think it's used in the US as well. Mm -hmm. I would think so. One of my favorite emojis, the winking kiss emoji, is Mm. internationally accepted as a platonic expression. But some people use it just to send, like, a flirty message. Right. Yeah. I use it for both. Oh, you do? I think I just use it with Seth. I don't... But although I do know people who are more liberal with its use. Yeah. I use it with Emilio a lot, but then sometimes, like, a girlfriend or something. Oh, yeah. With a girlfriend, I would use it. It would be like, all right, see you then, you know? Yeah. I would do that with a girl, but I probably wouldn't send that emoji to like a guy friend that I know True. is like single and yeah. ready to mingle. Like, yeah, I wouldn't send it to any other guy, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Girlfriends and significant other. <laughs> yeah. Or gay friends. Yeah. I send it to my gay friends. But then you don't have any way of like crossing the signals. So that's exactly an important yeah. distinction. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And then the hug emoji. What is the hug emoji? I don't even know that. I one. think it's maybe the one that has the smiley face in the hand on each side. Oh, maybe. There's a hug emoji in China that looks nothing like that. It's like, I'm going to send it to you right now. Okay. Maybe you can describe it. What the hell is that? It looks like a little chick with a green body. (laughs) (laughs) It's so little, you can't even see what it is. Yeah, it's an emoji face with eyes, but then it also has like a torso and arms, right? Yeah. And a green shirt, and you can see it's little emoji hand stubs. They're tiny. Yeah. But yeah, that's the Chinese hug emoji. That's so weird. It looks nothing like a hug. I mean, no. but I think it, it's hard to <laughs> represent like a hug when you only have like hands and a face. So. 
Exactly. So that's, I guess that's why they're trying with the torso and the Chinese hug emoji, but. The other one that confuses a lot of people is the folded hands. So it might mean like clapping, Mm -hmm. blessed, or praying. The original Japanese meaning is thank you or arigato. Mm -hmm. I always think it looks like praying or like, you know, like please or. Yeah, please. Yeah. Or kind of like praying. Yeah, I guess. Or blessed. Right. But I have read that it means like high five or something. I'm like, that's oh, weird. Oh, totally different. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely like I think of it as thank you just because when I type thank you, that's the recommended emoji that comes up. Oh, OK. And also in Asia, not in China, but in a lot of different parts of Asia, there's a lot of bowing that goes with thanking. Yeah. So like Thailand, always you clasp your hands together like that and you bow so it makes sense yeah here in the origin of emojis yeah i didn't realize that that was the case and so now it makes a lot more sense yeah it's so interesting though it's a universal language but not quite yeah and so the article mentioned that now they're starting to have emoji translators (laughs) which just is like a lot yeah (laughs) that's a little extra navigating the cultural channels yeah I mean, I guess you can never have too much translation and cultural explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're not like a native of both cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting article. Yeah. Hmm. I think we've talked a lot about it, but it was really quite interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize we were going on so long. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about the Icelandic language and Like I mentioned last week when I said we were going to do this, it was like, what? You're going to talk for an entire episode about Icelandic? And yes, we are, because it is a super interesting language. Yeah, for sure. So the first time I really heard Icelandic or even thought about it probably very much was uh, when I was in Iceland a few years ago with my friend Anne, who... We've heard from on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) But we tried to learn a few words like before we went. And she was like, oh, it's really similar to Swedish. Like the words like hello and thank you and blah, blah, blah. They're like the exact same Uh words. So then we got there and I remember on one of our tours, they talked about the similarities between English and Icelandic, which I would have thought like, no, (laughs) right? (laughs) I just like never thought about it I guess but they said some words and it was like oh yeah I could figure out what that was like you know if I had to it's like oh it sounds almost the same as English or it sounds like just an older version of it so there is a lot there and it's really interesting for a number of other reasons that that we'll get into yeah but before we jump into the language Iceland is one of the Nordic countries and there are there are a few different ones, and it's kind of hard to get an idea of what all of them are like. So I found a little clip of a comedian who's Icelandic, and he's talking about the stereotypes among different Nordic cultures. So I wanted to play that little mm-hmm. clip so you can hear from an Icelander's perspective all the different stereotypes in the Nordic countries. Yeah. We all silently judge each other. You can tell that Nordic people, when they're being introduced to each other at a conference, that they're judging each other by stereotypes. 
Like this guy's from Iceland. Oh, oh, oh. He must be broke, he must be broke, he must be broke, he must be broke, he must be. This guy's from Norway, he must be rich, he must be rich, he must be rich, he must be rich. This guy's from Finland, he must be drunk, he must be drunk, he must be drunk. This guy's from Sweden, he works in Norway, he works in Norway, he works in Norway. This guy's from Denmark, I can't understand the word this man says at any given moment. So that's a little introduction for you. Yeah, and we'll post the link because the whole video is pretty funny. Yeah. He talks about also the languages that they learn in Iceland. Yeah, it's a really funny stand-up. Mm -hmm. So I found this article from fluentin3months.com. The writer of this article apparently speaks like 500 different languages or something like that. 500? No, I'm just Sorry. Oh, that, was an ex- that was a gross exaggeration. Like nine, like nine different languages. That's very impressive. Yeah. 500 seems like out of this world. Like, but... like a language per month that he's alive, you know? <laughs> well, right. doesn't matter. It's a really interesting article. We'll post it on our show notes, obviously. But just to give you an introduction to the language, 350,000 people speak Icelandic, which is the population of Belfast. It's 0.005% of the world's population. So if there's if there was ever a language that's not going to get you very far, it's Icelandic. Yeah, it's just a few people who speak. Yeah. Like, when I lived in Barcelona, I was like, there are five million speakers of this language. It's I'm not going to learn it. Like, there's no point. Or six million, I think, at the time. Of Catalan. Of Catalan, yeah. There's no reason. And then when I was in Korea, like, I got to a certain point where I could speak a, a certain amount of Korean. And then it was like, there are 80 million speakers of this language. There's still seven billion people in the world, like... How far is this going to get me? 350,000? That's nothing. Yeah, and the ones who speak it also pretty much speak fluent English. So. Right, yeah. there's. It's not really useful. But it's a really interesting language because it has remained pretty much untouched since the 9th and 10th centuries. Amazing. Yeah. Like, there are so few languages that you could say that about. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Yeah. Untouched. I mean, if we looked at a text, as we saw in our episodes about the evolution of English, a text from even Shakespeare's time, like the 17th century, yeah. are like almost incomprehensible. Right, um, yeah. And any earlier, like Beowulf, we couldn't understand a single word almost. No. And I think Beowulf was from around the time that we're talking about right now. Exactly, yeah. Beowulf, you listen to it and I think I remember I was like I can understand the word the and but. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and. out of like a hundred words you understood three and. <laughs> like the least useful words as well. Like I can't even get a gist. So yeah. I mean, although the pronunciation has changed especially vowels, for the most part, grammar and vocabulary and spelling has pretty much remained the same. So that's why somebody in modern times can look at a text of Icelandic that's almost a thousand years old and pretty much understand it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. So it's from the Indo-European language group, which includes Norwegian, Faroese. Maybe. Faroese. It's a it's an island from yeah the Faroe Islands. 
Right, right. Yeah. Off of the Netherlands, I think. Yes. Norn and Greenlandic Norse. Hmm. And yeah, it's thought to be a dialect of Old Norse, which was a Germanic language spoken by Scandinavian inhabitants. And then the settlers that went to Iceland brought their language with them around the 9th century. Right. Icelandic has a lot of influence from the Scandinavians, but also there is evidence that maybe there were Gaelic monks who settled in Iceland before the 9th century. The majority of history that people know of comes from the Vikings who came from Denmark and settled in Iceland in the late 9th century. Yeah. And when I was in Iceland, we went to like an archaeological site that was one of the first settlements from the 800s, like 812 or something like that. Wow. And yeah. And actually, it was something interesting that in their... They had like a little video there that showed... They've done a lot of research about DNA and stuff from Iceland. And so a lot of the male genes, like genes carried on the Y chromosome, come from Scandinavia. So Denmark, Norway. Oh, wow. And then a lot of the female genes, ones that are carried only on the X chromosome, are from like Northern Ireland or Northern Scotland. Ah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So they kind of like went picked up some women, and then yes. <laughs> went on That's their totally way. totally what happened. Uh, I love that you can see that kind of history through genetics. That's so, so interesting. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So I'm sure there was probably also some linguistic influence by the, the women. Definitely. I mean, I yeah. didn't read about that, but I'm just supposing. <laughs> no, no. And I mean, it makes sense for sure, because the Vikings... They weren't like docile creatures who just like stopped by the stopped by Ireland like, oh, hello, I just want to visit and do some sightseeing and then be on my merry way. Like they, were, <laughs> <laughs> like they were quite the if you've seen the show Vikings, which is where I get most of my information about <laughs> the Vikings. <laughs> they were conquerors, conquerors of land and conquerors of ladies. Yeah. Although it said something like it might not have been super violent, like they might have actually stayed for a while in those places and like gotten like wives naturally, like Mm -hmm. it might not have been like so, as you would think, pillage and kidnap, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So that's, I think, good to know. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty interesting though. Yeah. But yeah, so the northern trade routes introduced German, English, Dutch, and French influence, and also Basque influence to the island. That was crazy to me. I had no idea. Basque? Why? Yeah. So we've talked about this before a little bit as well, right? Maybe we should do an episode on Basque. Ooh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, Or like linguistic isolates. Yeah, definitely. Okay, sorry, keep going. Yeah, but it's a language spoken in northern Spain. It has no relation to like any other languages of the region or of... Mm -hmm. Europe so people don't really know where it comes from but so I guess they were prosperous traders perhaps yeah (laughs) and that's why it came yeah that makes sense it's a pretty well-off region right like they do well for themselves I think so yeah I just don't know where they would have gone like did they go to Canada or were they just 
like back and forth to Iceland. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, then between 1814 and 1918, Iceland became a part of the Kingdom of Denmark. So there was a push for Danish to become the main language in Iceland. But in the 1800s, there was a purity movement in Iceland that kind of counteracted the push for Danish, Mm -hmm. which actually also helped prevent the influence of new words. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah. But yeah, actually Icelandic didn't become the official language until just seven years ago in 2011. So until then, I guess they didn't have an official language. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think also, I was going to say the United States, does it have an official language? Oh, that's right. The U.S. doesn't have an official language either. Right. It's interesting that sometimes countries don't even need to establish, like, an official language. Right. There is one, of course, but... Right, but it's not, like, written. Yeah. It's not written anywhere. It's just understood. Yeah. It's funny. So let's talk a little bit about language purity. Mm-hmm. So there were some changes in pronunciation that you mentioned before Mm -hmm. that happened between the 12th and the 16th centuries, but the spelling, the grammar and vocabulary stayed the same, which is incredible. Yeah. We talked a few weeks ago about the changes in English pronunciation and that changed, I mean, that kind of solidified the way that things are spelled. Yeah. And some things stayed weird, but... Yeah. It's funny that there were pronunciation changes in English and we didn't change our spelling and it, yeah, and it came out really odd, but in Iceland, it still makes sense. In Icelandic, yeah. it still makes sense. Yeah, definitely. But modern speakers of the language can still read and understand texts from the 12th century. So there are a set of works that are classics for them called the sagas mm-hmm. that are from that century, so the 1100s, and... They read the original version in school. That's so crazy. Which is, what? We can barely read the original Shakespeare, I mean, to be honest. Dude, I love spark notes in high school. <laughs> like, it was so essential because trying to get through Shakespeare was agony. <laughs> yeah, part of it is the pronunciation. Yeah. And part of it is vocabulary because a lot of words have little asterisk by it. And then it's like a really you know, an outdated thing that was used in everyday life or something. Right. Or a lot of it's syntax that's like, we don't speak that way anymore. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's so difficult for me to like wrap my head around. I know. Um, (laughs) One thing that did help with the language purity is during the Romanticism period, there was a spike in interest in Norse mythology. Now you might say like, what is, what does that have to do with Icelandic? Well, Norwegian kings often kept Icelanders around for documentation of things that they did because Iceland has always been one of the most literate and educated countries. In fact, today the literacy rate is 99%. I've seen 100% when I was reading about this. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So Icelanders would document what they saw and so the majority of myths and sagas were written in Icelandic. That's so cool. Yeah, so Norse mythology is written in Icelandic. People wanted to learn more about Norse mythology, so there's more interest around Icelandic. Yeah, and keeping that tradition alive instead of like translating it to the modern way of speaking, because it's the same, really, in Iceland. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. What you're saying about the literacy rate as well. I've also read a lot about Iceland. They are really proud of like the percentage of their population that does certain things. So like they have the highest percentage of writers, like 10% of the population huh. or something like that who have published Jesus. a book. Like, Wow, that's crazy. Or yeah, just like per capita, they have the most of a lot of things because they have like very few people. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you have a small population like that, maybe it's easier to kind of take care of everybody. Yeah. So an interesting topic that comes up in a lot of languages now is use of loan words, which are basically words from other languages that we adopt. And mm -hmm. how do we adapt language to new inventions? Right. So one example of this is the computer and anything digital, anything technology related, because that's all changing so quickly. So language has to keep up. And what's happening now is a lot of languages are just adopting the English word. So in Spanish, they use a lot of English words right. for new inventions, because I mean, a lot of them come from English speaking countries. So we make the word and then they're used around the world. So that's something that they've been really strict with in Iceland. They don't accept loanwords, and if people start using them, then they have to invent a word. Right, so one word that they invented is the word for computer. They took the word for number, which is tala, and which, which is vorva, and I'm probably not saying this right, but torva, so the direct translation of computer becomes a witch of numbers. Yeah. So yeah. they use roots or different words in Icelandic to make new concepts. Yeah. They do that in Chinese, too. Do they? Actually. Yeah. Like the word for computer in Chinese means electric brain. Ah, that's yeah. so interesting. Like the two different things, electric brain, which of numbers. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's funny. But they do borrow some words, and they're not totally against that. So they've borrowed the words please and freak. But they do change the spelling to make it look more Icelandic. Yeah. But they don't have those concepts in the culture. It's really interesting that they don't have the word for please, though. Yeah, that is really funny. I mean, freak, okay, I can understand. But please is like right. one of the, you know, when you travel, one of the first words you learn. Like, please, thank you, hello, goodbye. Right, so I guess people haven't really traveled to Iceland that much anyway. <laughs> historically until very recently when everybody wants to travel to Iceland. Yeah. But yeah, I wonder what people did when they were like trying to learn Icelandic and then there was no word for please. Like what in the culture makes them not need to use please? Yeah, that's kind of makes you wonder. I guess Chinese doesn't really have a word for please either. Which makes Chinese people come off as kind of like pushy when they ask for something mm. in English. But in Chinese, when you say you want something, you just say, I want this or I don't want that, you know? Mm. It's kind of like when we looked at gratitude and it's not expressed explicitly in a lot of places. That's true. That's true. There's also a lot of give me this and give me that in Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So in Iceland, students are required to learn other languages in schools, which in most cases are English and Danish. Mm -hmm. So English, because it's the international language, but also another Scandinavian language, which is usually Danish. And actually in that stand-up clip that we played at the beginning, if you keep watching it, the comedian talks about how Icelandic Danish sounds a lot different from actual Danish. Yeah. <laughs> And when Icelanders go to Denmark, they'll start speaking Danish, and the Danish people are just like, please speak English. <laughs> just speak English. 
Yeah. I don't know exactly why that is. Like, maybe it's the inflection or something that makes it sound... He spoke it, but I couldn't understand. Right, right. Because it was in Danish. (laughs) I think you're right, though. I think it's like... Danish is very like did it did it did it did it did it like mm-hmm. kind of a lot of Scandinavian languages are like that. Yeah. In one of the articles I read today, it was talking about how Icelandic kind of lost the inflection that comes with a lot of Scandinavian languages. Mm. So when he's talking, he's just like da 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 kind of monotone, which doesn't go along with that stereotypical. Yeah, the kind of musical. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think of Swedes and I think of their inflection Hello, just bouncing around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also they usually learn a third language as well, which traditionally has been like German or French, but now they're starting to learn more Spanish as well. Right. Yeah. It's becoming very popular to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of Chinese people who speak Spanish here. Oh yeah. It's funny. That's interesting. Names in Icelandic are also super interesting. So there are two major points here that I just love. So people don't usually change their name after getting married, which makes sense because your surname is actually taken from your father's first name. So if you're born to a Sven, then your surname is going to be Svensson if you're a boy or Svendotter if you're or Sven's daughter if you're a girl, I think. Yeah. I think it's like dotir, 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 mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Your Sven's daughter or your Sven's son. <laughs> right. And it's like that in other Scandinavian countries too, at least traditionally. I'm sure, yeah. I don't know if it's still so much like that. I, I don't know if they actually carry down the same name or if they change right. it. But I know in the past right. for sure it was like that. Exactly, yeah. Just name doesn't reflect lineage in a lot of these cultures. And I actually tried to look that up, like which other cultures it applies to, but I couldn't find search words for that. Okay. But yeah, I've heard that as well. But then you get a lot of cases like Sven Svensson. <laughs> like right. people love the double names there. Yeah, it's funny. that is funny. And they also don't name children right away. So they kind of wait to see how personality develops. So for a while, the child is just called Stulka, something like that, for girl, or Drengur, for a boy, until they decide on a name that fits the child. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But parents are required to stick to a list of approved first and middle names. So there are 1,800 female names and 1,700 male names that are officially allowed in Iceland. Mm -hmm. If parents want to give their child a different name, they have to send a request to the Icelandic Naming Committee. And their request is either accepted or rejected based on whether it can be easily incorporated into the Icelandic language. So they are very strict about it. And they do. They regularly reject names. Yeah. And it seems like, like, oh, that's kind of crazy or that's kind of too strict. But that's how they have the same language that they've been speaking for almost like a thousand years. Yeah, exactly. So that's part of the language purity as well. I think Germany kind of does that too. Like it's less common to be rejected for a name, but if you try to name your kid Spot or something, (laughs) then Germany will be like, you cannot give your child a dog's name. Try again. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, really cool article. We will post that on the show notes. Yeah. And I love that you put this in here. So different things about the culture in Iceland. We've alluded to the lack of population. (laughs) So there are 350,000 people there or 320,000. 
Like, it's like that's almost the size of like Knoxville, which is yeah. in a whole country. So there's a high probability of incest. So they have an app to let you know like when you want to start dating somebody if you're too closely related. Yeah, it's called the Accidental Incest Prevention App. <laughs> I was watching this video where, like, these two people sat down for a blind date, and they were like, all right, let's check and see what it says. And they check, and it says, third cousins? That's eh, probably too close. And they're like, all right, see you. See you at the next family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's funny. Also, it's a very sexually liberated country. Uh, Iceland is the most feminist country, so it's not uncommon for a woman to buy a man a drink at a bar. Another thing that it said in this video that I forgot to write down was people who have hooked up with the same person, they call each other, the translation of the word is stomach buddies, because you've rubbed stomachs with the same person. Yeah, like, oh, too far, <laughs> man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of Scandinavia is this way, like pretty progressive mm -hmm. in terms of like gender. And I've also heard like in Sweden and Denmark, it's really uncommon for a guy to just go up at a bar and like buy a girl a drink. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Everyone kind of pays for themselves. It's also a very casual culture. So everybody is called by their first name, including professors, doctors, president, Björk. Really interesting. Yeah. Can you imagine just... <laughs> Don Barack. You know, our president, Barack. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are no surnames, so... Yeah, or, like, your doctor, like, Sophie, can you, like, tell me what's yeah, going on? Yeah, right, right. I get frustrated when my kids call me Patty instead of Patty Teacher. I'm like, no, it's Patty Teacher to you. <sighs> We're not friends. Yeah. Anyway... Looking at a comparison of Icelandic and English, Icelandic has 32 letters, I believe, and a lot of them are very similar to the English equivalents, mm -hmm. but the name of the volcano, it has a double L at the end and in the middle, and the double L, for example, is like a T, a T and an L together, so yeah, so this sound is not really present in English. Yeah. So it's a voiceless alveolar approximate. Mm. So it's a voiceless version of the L. And the article says we actually do kind of have this sound, but we don't make a differentiation between regular L and this L. Mm -hmm. But it appears in some words, and it's just the way that we pronounce it. So it gave the example of the word play. Mm, okay, okay. Not play. Play. Yeah, so it's not a really hard L sound, but we still hear it as just an L. Mm -hmm. Play. Yeah, that makes sense. And it also has some blended vowels, or like front rounded vowels, like, what is that? I and I. I, I. I think that's an U. I. Yeah. Yeah. Which are also in the name of that volcano. <laughs> So that those do exist in like French, Jure, yeah, Jeune, Jeune, and municipality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So if English speakers had actually retained the French that <laughs> that was imposed in England, then we might have those sounds, but we do not. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, they're kind of fun sounds to make though. U and U. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
German has them too, I think. Je, yeah. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, it does have some. Mm-hmm. Like French has an insane amount of vowel sounds, but right. German has, I think, nine or 11 or something like that. And French has like 23. Mm-hmm. So. Jesus. <laughs> That makes so much sense, too. And English has, like, maybe 29. I don't know. Oh, really? That's difficult. It has a lot. I mean, I don't remember. It's somewhere in the 20s, I think. But we don't have those particular ones. But we have, like, a lot of ones that don't exist in those, like, ah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. But between English and Icelandic, they share a lot of the same grammar and basic vocabulary. So we found some examples of some different words being pronounced in English and then Icelandic. Book. Bulk. Mother. Mother. Apple. Apple. Night. Not. That. That. No, they sound super similar to each other, though. Mm-hmm. I guess probably it would be kind of one of those things that if you learn the trend, you can see it and it would help you. Because at least it's semi-related to English. Yeah. It's in the same tree, so it would help you learn it. I think Icelandic also has, like, a differentiates between an unvocalized and a vocalized TH sound. Mm. Like... Thursday and this, for example. Oh, yeah. Some other and Modir. Yeah. Uh, the word geyser comes from Icelandic. Okay, that totally makes sense. Geysir, something like that. So, grammatically, Icelandic has a lot of features of its parent language, which is Old Norse. And even the grandparent language would, would be Proto-Germanic. And that's also the grandparent of English. Yeah, so it's really first cousin twice removed or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Third cousin, I don't really know. <sighs> yeah. Of English. But I guess Eng- English has definitely gone through a lot more evolution and influence than Icelandic has. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We've seen how much English changed in the last thousand years, and it's yeah a lot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah, just like German, Icelandic nouns have three different genders and four different cases. So German is the same way, four cases and three genders. Can you explain what a case is? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, And I'll go ahead and briefly explain a gender. In Spanish, there are two genders. There are masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if the thing actually has feminine qualities, like la mesa is the table, la cama is the bed. And those are both feminine. And then you have el micrófono, that's the microphone, is masculine. Mm -hmm. There's no masculine or feminine properties. It's just that word is masculine or feminine. And Mm -hmm. in German, there are three genders. There's masculine, feminine, and neuter. So the table would be der Tisch, which is masculine. The bed is das Bett, which is neuter. And then like Wurst, which is like a sausage. Mm-hmm. Voice is feminine. So, yeah, those are three different things that are just objects that have genders that seem arbitrarily ascribed to them. So those mm-hmm. are genders. And these are just things that you have to memorize when you're learning a new language. And yeah. language learners hate <laughs> learning genders, which is totally... Yeah, especially English speakers, because we don't have gender. Right. For objects. I mean, obviously for women, 
or men, like for right. people, yes. That's easier. But when you're learning, like, why is the table feminine or masculine? Like, it doesn't make sense. That's like the best thing about Chinese. <laughs> In German, isn't, okay, so the word sun and moon, isn't moon masculine? Mm-hmm. Der Mond. Mm-hmm. And sun and... is die Sonne. Is feminine, yeah. Feminine. And in Spanish, it's the opposite. And ah. so masculine is the sun, and the moon, la luna, is feminine. Yeah, that's true. And we do that a little bit of a little bit in English as well. Like, we'll call a boat she, or yeah. I'm trying to think of another example. A lot of times it's she, though. Yeah, it's normally just vehicles. Like, that's it. <laughs> Probably because men love vehicles. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It started with ships and sailors. And... Right. But anyway, so that's gender. And then case is where the object falls in a sentence. So in English, I would say, like, I give Rachel my book. Okay. So I is the subject of the sentence. And so that is one case. That's the first case, which is nominative, the subject. Rachel is the indirect object of the sentence. She's the recipient of the action. So you Mm -hmm. would be the dative case. So nominative, subject, dative is the indirect object. And then book is what is being given. So it is Mm -hmm. the direct object slash the accusative case, accusative in German. And that's a third case. So... In all, each of these cases, the article will vary. So, for example, sentence A, the girl gives the boy the book. The girl is das Mädchen, okay? So she's nominative. She's the subject. Sentence B, the boy gives the girl the book. The girl becomes the indirect object slash dative. So she becomes, instead of das Mädchen, girl in this case becomes... Dative, so instead of saying das Mädchen, which you would if she was the subject, you would say dem Mädchen. So the article changes according to the noun's position, the part of speech. So if you remember mapping out sentences in English class in like sixth grade and how you like hated every second of it, learning German is all about mapping out, <laughs> mapping out sentences. So the verbs are conjugated in Icelandic for tense. We have that in English as well. Present, past, future. Mood, person, number, and voice. Right. And English used to have some of these different aspects, but we've lost a lot of it. Partly from just influence from different languages that don't have those things in them. Yeah. So syntax. Like, the syntax is quite similar to English as well. So it's subject, verb, object, except for what linguists call the verb second effect. So that would be where the conjugated or the finite verb appears second in the sentence. And we do have that a little bit in English as well. For example, the sentence, only a few Icelandic sounds would an English speaker have trouble pronouncing. So you Mm -hmm. have the object first, only a few Icelandic sounds. But most of the time it's subject, verb, object. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, it's normally pretty similar in syntax to English. Yeah, that's interesting that we retained so much of a similarity there, you know, in, yeah, in the structure. Definitely. Well, I've really enjoyed looking at this really old language today. Yeah, me too. If you are Icelandic, please let us know what you think, if you have anything to add. 
Yes, we want to hear. And please speak because it's so pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely check out some of the clips we have and you can hear some Icelandic. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Notes. Yeah, it's really cool. Can you say the volcano, the infamous volcano that went off? <laughs> yeah, let us know. So, uh, and send us your Lost in Translation moments. We are still waiting for them. We know yeah. you can hear us. Anxiously awaiting. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also subscribe to our blog, which is at languagenerdstoearth.com. And please take a moment if you have an extra like five minutes in your week just to write us a quick review on iTunes. That would be super helpful. Helps more people find the podcast. And also just tell your friends about it if you enjoyed it then really help us out. We love that. And yeah. feel free to reach out to us if you have anything you'd like to say about the show or you have a topic that you want us to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.